Mac Brown says, hey, listen, you come here, you play in Texas. We got this baby colt just, just was born just a couple days ago. You come here, we're gonna name that colt Sanchez. And I was like, awesome. I got a horse. Visa, a network working for everyone. Overcoming the odds, rewriting the playbook, delivering under pressure. The MVPs of small business lead their teams to victory all year long. Visa is proud to provide playmakers everywhere with more tools to help grow their businesses and help them achieve even greater success. Because the more people we can empower, the more we all win. Visa, a network working for everyone. Well, I think you're going to love today's conversation with Mark Sanchez. Uh, what an incredible quarterback journey, and that's what this show's all about, just talking about these incredible journeys these quarterbacks go on, whether they end up making the Hall of Fame, whether they have average NFL careers, uh, or maybe sometimes their careers don't turn on anything like they want them to. But, you know, Mark was the original five-star quarterback. And what I mean by that was this is when Rivals was first coming out, and there weren't stars on players. Mark was really one of the first, and he played for a legendary coach, in Bob Johnson, the Mission Viejo High School uh, in Orange County, California. We talk, he tells some incredible stories about his high school career, uh, his recruiting journey, and how he ended up at USC. I mean, this is a guy that was at Texas, Mac Brown, goes to Notre Dame, has a great story about that recruiting trip, his recruiting trip to Ohio State. He, he goes into all that stuff. The state of USC football. I think a lot of you that are going to watch this show want to know what Mark Sanchez thinks about uh, the current state of USC football, and he talks very honestly and transparently about that and what the next head coach uh, has to possess uh, to get them back on track. Uh, obviously, his time in the NFL, um, learning how to be a ground-and-pound quarterback, uh, learning how to throw a wet ball and a cold ball. Uh, when he le- first learned what uh, you know mix of weather meant <laughs> coming from uh, Southern California to the Northeast, having to put his flip-flops away after... Uh, October, and then obviously about the impact his family's had on his career. It's a really fun conversation Fun conversation with Mark Sanchez. I hope you enjoy it. Well, fired up to bring in our guest today, Mark Sanchez. Uh, you know him from his All-American career at USC, his illustrious NFL career, and now a very, very talented sports broadcaster. Mark, thanks for being with us today. Um, the point of the show, I, I think I've talked to every guest about this is is really to dive into your journey and I think for most of us quarterbacks our journey really starts in those high school years and you had a really interesting high school experience uh, by the way this is Nala, Nala come, <laughs> here. come here let's just introduce you up on the top Nala's my dog she's definitely going to be a part of this <laughs> podcast today she'll be jumping in and out but uh your high school journey was incredible um take us back to uh, that first touchdown pass, a Friday night football game at Mission Viejo. Just, I'm going to wind you up. You go talk about your high school experience. What's funny is I, I actually, one, thank you for having me. Two, the, um, the first touchdown I ever threw as a varsity football player was at Santa Margarita High School before I transferred. And um, I was thinking about this the other day when we spoke. And I remember going to school the next day. Uh, we were playing against um, El Medina. And uh, I'm suiting up for varsity as a sophomore. And we're wearing our jerseys on Friday, you know, on game day at school. And uh, I'm all fired up because 
I ended up getting the number I wanted, which was number six for my dad's fire department. And um, he was truck sick, so I thought it'd be cool to wear that for him and the guys and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they'd show up to practice sometimes. They'd show up to games with a full rig and like all the guys in their turnouts and stuff. So it was uh, it was pretty cool. But the one of the guys quit the team that year and he had all these patches because he was like senior captain you know like war eagle and like all these things that he had accomplished and they never took him off the jersey and as soon as he left the team I just had everything and I hadn't played a snap yet so I'm wearing this jersey at school like feeling really good right like a like a you know decorated war general kind of thing with all these medals and stuff (laughs) on it so total fraud uh by the way but we go and um, it's a third and 15. I hadn't played all game. First play of the fourth quarter, third and 15. Coach Jim Hardigan says, hey, Sanchez, warm up, you're in. <laughs> I was like, oh, as the gosh. teams are like swapping sides of the field and now we're going the other way. I'm like, oh my God, what? I'm like, third and 15, holy crap. Like, this is, okay, well, here we go. And I start playing catch, got about five balls in. And we had this stud wide receiver named Bobby Withorn. And I just remember, just like any quarterback, talk about predetermining a throw. I was just like, yep. I don't know what we're going to run, but Bobby's got a full ride going to UW. He's going to Washington to be a Husky. <laughs> so I feel like that's probably my best bet. Don't really know much else because this offense is a little different than our freshman offense, but we'll see what happens. And he, he's like, uh, Sergio Muniz says, he's our offense coordinator. He says, what do you like? And I'm just like, dude, I don't whatever. And he's like, all right, let's try double smash special because they're giving us a too high shell look and it, we want to throw smash routes and then we're going to put Bobby on the special. So he's going to fake a corner out, boom, and just take off down the middle of the field. Drop back. Just don't really remember anything other than like trying to look off for one second and then just find Bobby and lob it up in the middle of the field. Bobby takes it 55 yard touchdown. First throw. We convert touchdown. Like everybody's going nuts. Right. And we don't have a drop of offense after that, but that gave us a lead. We win the game. And I remember being in class um, Monday, the, the next Monday, and our special teams coordinator, Coach John Rodriguez, he, was, uh, he would substitute for classes. And the um, newspaper clipping was Sanchez has electric debut. And he liked to remind me that, you know, I was nothing. I was just a sophomore and, you know, keep me from getting a big head. And um, Coach Rodriguez was notorious for he would sub for English classes and he would take people outside to do their outside reading when outside reading meant whatever class, like non-class book you have or anything. You could read a magazine, you could read a newspaper, you could read anything was outside reading. But he goes, "Okay, everybody outside, we're going to go do the outside reading. Everybody's like, what the heck? So that's Coach Rodriguez in a nutshell, one of my favorite coaches. And he goes, hey, I don't want you to get a big head because I read the paper and it said Sanchez got electrocuted when he comes in the game, okay? So don't get all excited like you know what you're doing, okay? you got a lot of hard work to do. <laughs> he said, but he said, Sanchez got electrocuted. Then he said, I don't want you to get a big head because I don't want you to be like, like one of those planes that takes off without an engine, you know? Because then they end up blowing up, okay? So just think about that. And I was just like, oh, my God. What just happened? So that was one of my favorite stories of all time because no clue what was going on, get thrown into this moment, and then everything kind of 
happens, right? And the fallout from it was so positive and fun and exciting. And then, you know, I end up playing for Bob Johnson later on. But that was like of Friday Night Stories. That's one of my favorites. It's by far the best first touchdown pass story we've had so far in the show. Now, you mentioned it, so you transfer to mm-hmm. Mission Viejo, and we'll get into just kind of what an incredible ride that was for that football team and, and you specifically. What led to the transfer? Um, you know, we, we had a good group going through Santa Margarita together, and everybody was dropping out. Like, we, we – um, the multiple sport thing was getting difficult at Santa Margarita. Um, and we knew at mission that Bob was just like open to other sports. Uh, I remember having to like get a football lift in the day of our championship CIF basketball game. And I was like, dang, I gotta go like power clean and then go run around on the court. Like, sheesh, that was a lot. So there was, um, you know, it was difficult at the time to, to play multiple sports. And we knew there'd be a better opportunity with coach Johnson at mission Viejo. I had a ton of friends there already who were, you know, begging me to go there. And it was, um, it it was a really positive transition. And, you know, I always say like summer, summer football, um, you know, junior year going into senior year was one of my favorite times of my entire life because it was, you know, uh, basketball camp in the morning, tournaments on the weekends, uh, football practice we did in the afternoon. And then in between there, we're at the beach you know, boogie boarding, bodyboarding, hanging out, scoping out the babes, you know, like doing the whole high school thing. And then um, every couple of days we'd have, you know, a basketball tournament or every weekend we'd have a basketball tournament or baseball tournament. I'd go throw a couple innings, run back over to the football field, finish football practice, you know, go do a shoot around and then have basketball the next day. It was like one of my favorite times because I was always on, you know, there was no school work. It was just ball, just baseball, basketball, football. And, and you just just went a hundred miles an hour. And, um, I mean, that summer, those three months were some of my favorite, you know, experiences of my entire life. And you're growing up and meeting new people. And, and it was, it was welcomed that, you know, it was, it was celebrated that you played other sports. I mean, our starting five on our basketball team were all football players, except one guy. Um, and we won CIF my junior year with, you know, Jed Collins and all the Conrad Ruland, you know, all these guys who, who, who could ball on the football field and happen to play basketball and just, we used all our fouls. We were very physical and just had fun throwing a ball around. So um, that was, that was a big reason for the transfer. And I, and I think it worked out great. How much did you gain from playing those other sports? We've had really good conversations with other quarterbacks that most of them, uh, in fact, I think all but one played multiple sports, all go back and credit their Hall of Fame careers, what they learned from basketball or baseball or lacrosse or whatever the other sports were, um, besides the fun, and that does sound epic. I mean, growing up in Southern California and playing three sports in the summer and going to the beach in between and cookouts <laughs> on the fun. beach, I mean, that's epic. I get it. Like, what lessons learned that, that translated mm. into your football career? Well, I think having different sets of friend groups and different mm-hmm. sports and teams that you're accountable for just to only reemphasize a lot of the things that you learn in football that transcend into life. And that's the accountability, you know, being on time, learning how to win, more importantly, learning how to lose. Um, you learn that in different environments. And it's just like speaking another language, you know, it just makes your brain fire. It challenges you and it stretches you and it forces you to grow. Um, you know, the first couple weeks of basketball, like you don't have your jump shot. You don't, feel as comfortable and you got to work at it. It's a reminder that this thing isn't just automatic, right? 
and you never got bored, right? There was always something pushing you to that next thing, right? And like, man, I can't hit a ball to save my life for these first two weeks. Like, I can't even hit the coach's weak curveball. Like, what's <laughs> going on? You know, I got to practice. I got to get in the cage. I got to go, you know, work at this. Um, you know, and and I, I feel like that's so imperative for these young kids to not just hone in on one thing because it gets a little stale. You know, there's always something to work on, but it gets a little stale and you got to get out and strike out, you know, get hit by a pitch. I don't know. It's just get fouled, you know, get to the free throw line, have to make a clutch free throw, have to lay down a bunt and sacrifice for a runner to get over to second or third and scoring position. And then the other team bats him in or like your guy bats him in later. Like those kind of experiences help you in football, if that's your thing. And in life, like they just teach you so many lessons that you don't get anywhere else without competitive sports. So um, my, the other thing too, my dad always said, like, I can make a basketball player a really good football player. It's hard to go the other way around. Yeah. And it was just, it's so good for your hand eye, just dribbling, you know, your ball handling, all that kind of stuff. It helps, you know, mm -hmm. play fakes and reverses and flipping the ball to guys, just mm -hmm. handling a different ball, handling a baseball, throwing different pitches. Like there's no substitute for all those things. And at that age, you can do it all. You know what I mean? You're not going to be able to do it forever. And like I said, those are those are some of my favorite sports memories. Not NFL, not college. It was that high school period of time in passing league, in baseball tournaments, in basketball camp. Like those were those were it. So I, I highly recommend it to other players. When you mentioned it, it helps your teams, right? Because you talked about no you guys and all. You can fill in, in anywhere you want here, but you were arguably the best team in the country your senior year at Mission Viejo in football. You won CIF in basketball. And as you said, five the five starters in basketball were all football players. Uh, you played for Bob Johnson, 350 career wins. And that's despite him taking 10 years off to watch his sons play college ball. <laughs> I know. Um, you guys put, put all kinds of dudes uh, in Power 5 football in the NFL. Um, talk to us about Coach Johnson um, that high school football team that was legendary. Weren't you guys on the cover of Parade Magazine as kind of mm -hmm. national champions? Oh, yeah. Um, more than just the winning, uh, just the culture of that football team and, and what made you guys so special? It was, man, he ran just a, um, a great program. Um, I, I thought uh, it was so detailed. His sons were both a part of it. And it was fun because Brett, his son, is just like Bob, and they're on you. I mean, they're on you hard. And you're just like, dang. Like, this is the hardest coaching maybe I've ever gotten. And my dad was pretty tough. And it was it's funny because my dad, my dad, when we transferred, was like, you know, we're in the trailer with Bob Johnson, and he's like, hey, coach, whatever you got to do to get the best out of him, I understand. You're not going to offend me. You're not going to do anything to him that I haven't already done. So whatever you need. You know, basically, like, here's my boy. Good luck. <laughs> so Bob said, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> and he would just catch me, you know, scatterbrained, uh, you know, messing around at practice, joking around. So he'd make me run scout team. He'd bear crawl my ass oh. just to just to send messages like, yo, you got to focus. You got to be the guy. There's no messing around when we're when it's time to ball. It's time to ball. You can go joke around with the guys in the locker room. But when we're here on the field, I need your focus. I need your energy. I need your attention. And this is what he would do to me all the time. He'd say, I need you here. I need you here. Big moments in the game. I need you here. Fundamentals, fundamentals. And that was one of the things like he harped on footwork. He harped on timing. Um, it was, it was so fun. And he gave you just enough love to where you're like, 
you question it sometimes because you're just like, does he even like, does he even like me? Does he even like doing this? Like he's tough, you know? And then every once in a while he hit, you just nail a throw and nail a read and something you worked on. And he goes, oh yeah, oh yeah, give me a dozen of those. Jelly filled, sprinkles on top, oh yeah. You know, like, and he get all fired up. You're just like, whoa, all right, yeah, okay, he's in my corner, he loves me, like this is all good, you know? And um, I just was so proud to play for him. Um, and, and then, you know, like I said, him and Brett were tough. Rob would come around because Rob was still bouncing around the league. And he was like Uncle Rob, you know. He's got that like, you know, quarterback, um, not guilt, but like he, he's just like defensive of quarterbacks, you know. And I get this way for certain guys that are playing. And you're like, dude, you, you know, guy gets just crushed by the media. You're like, dude, like you don't even understand what this guy's going through. And he doesn't suck. He's in a bad situation, whatever. But, you know, Brett and Rob or Brett and Bob are just – you know, hammering me about something. <laughs> Rob would say something, total Uncle Rob, just, hey, man, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Don't worry about those guys. Go have fun, you know, just throw it to the open guy. You know, he'd say something like that, just like super cool. And I was just like, I like Rob. <laughs> you know, I really like Rob because <laughs> it was the perfect balance of Brett and Bob and then Rob would come around and, and you know, give you a pat on the back. So it was – um it was an incredible run. I mean, Jordan Palmer, uh, Joshua Darmel, the guys who had went there, uh, Robbie Dubois. Um, God, we had some some ballers, man, who made it to the league. And Chase Moline, one of my good friends, now coaching there. So um, it's it was such a fun atmosphere. I think I I think I'm correct to say this. I think you had eight um, make NFL training camp rosters from that team. So pretty impressive. Yep. From like that three yeah, years, that three years. Oh, yeah. So pretty impressive run there for coach Johnson, his staff, you guys, as players. Now, this is the thing I want to dive into a little bit. We can start now. We'll have to go to a break at some point, but uh, for the kids out there going through recruiting, what they may not understand is Mark Sanchez was the original five-star quarterback. And <clears throat> what I mean by that is this is right about the time when Mark's in high school, uh, on this great run at Mission Viejo, beating the likes of uh, Long Beach, Pauly, Modern Day, uh, De La Salle. Um, Rivals comes out and they start ranking players. And all you guys now are accustomed to this. But Mark was like the original five-star quarterback. Uh, now, Mark, we know there wasn't the, the incredible social media that there is now, but what was it like being that guy? Because I don't know another way of saying it. You were the guy. You were the dude in the country. <laughs> That everybody was talking about. Did you embrace that pressure? Was that um, too much at times? Like, what what kind of emotional mental roller coaster did you go on being labeled that guy? Well, I think, as you said, the reach and social media. Like, I didn't have a phone with all this information <laughs> on it at my fingertips every day. So, if I knew it, I knew it because my dad saw something on the computer, and then like. I'd go in and like search the history to be like, what was he looking at? I saw him looking at like high school football stuff. Cause he's not going to tell me, you know? <laughs> and so we'd go to all these Nike camps at the time, those Nike training camps or whatever. And that was your chance to like be the measuring stick. And once you did that, like once we did all those camps, I was like, we went up to Palo Alto. We did the USC one. We did the San Diego one. And after going there, I'm like, dude, those are the best guys in California. I was right there with them. I was toe to toe with all of them. Throwing to, you know, Deshaun Jackson, Orlando Scandrick, guys who ended up being in the league. So there's legit talent. 
And there were good quarterbacks. But I felt like, man, I can spin it with any of them. And that was my chance to have a measuring stick. So after that is when all, you know, these five stars and all this kind of stuff came around. So I, I had an idea that kind of confirmed it. And then it felt like, man, there's, there's a lot to live up to. There's like this high expectation, right? So some of it was like wanting to prove people right. And some of it admittedly was, you know, the fear of failure. Like, you know, guys like Michael Jordan talk about, like, that is a real driving force. Some people are just scared to lose and some people are like really trying to win and got to win. So I, you know, frankly would go back and forth between that. Like, yeah, I'm this guy, but also shoot, I got to be this guy, you know? And so it definitely was pressure. I think doing the elite 11 camp was one of the best things I could have done because that was just another measuring stick with the best of the best. And I felt good about that with Ryan Perilou, with Jonathan Crompton, with all these guys that were coming up you know, Tennessee, New Orleans, all these other quarterbacks. And I was like, dude, I could throw with anybody, you know? And so it kind of built my confidence. Like, let's go. If we're going to be in shorts and t-shirts, nobody's going to come rush me. And we're just going to be out here trying to throw at flags and tires and do drills. Like, let's go. And I had that same mentality going into the NFL draft because people were like, yeah, you might be the second guy. You might be the third guy. And I said, hold on, I'm just going to go and compete in a shorts and a t-shirt and cleats. And then we'll go like duke it out and see who the best quarterback is. Let's go. I've been doing that my whole life. So if you're telling me that's what we have to do now, let's rock. I'm in. So I think that all led to where I eventually landed. But those were the beginning stages. And it's, um, I mean, I don't know how these kids now deal with it. Because there's as much attention on that in some ways as there is like NFL coverage. I mean, these people, that's their job 24 seven is scouting these high school players and there's every outlet possible. There wasn't, you know, as many outlets back then it was rivals. You know, if the army game came to your high school, that was a big deal. Um, you know, the Cal Florida bowl, big deal. And you'd kind of like hit these rungs on the ladder and you're just like, okay, this is, this is where it's going. Like I'm going to get a shot to play. Somebody's going to pay for me to go to school. Like, this is, this is it, you know, and, and you start getting some offers and all that, but it does come with a lot of pressure and a lot to learn about yourself and your surroundings and how you conduct yourself. So it was this added thing because people that I didn't know at school and outside of school would come up to you like, Oh, you're that quarterback. When we play in basketball yeah. games up in, you know, we played Crenshaw, we play, um, God, we got smoked by Taff and Jordan Farmer. <laughs> we thought we were a good basketball team. This dude put like 60 on us in a high school game. I used all my fouls. Coach is like, what's the deal? You're a lockdown defender. I'm like, bro, I can't guard this guy. This guy's going to play in the NBA or something. He's unbelievable. So I fouled out in like the second quarter. But like we'd go play and we're doing warm-ups and people are taking videos like, oh, that's the, that's the quarterback. He's going to SC. You know, so people knew me from football. So it's it's different um, as a high schooler, you know, like signing autographs after games. I mean, now these kids are getting DMs from like fans around the country, around the world that know their name. That is, that's a lot to handle as, as a high schooler. Now, obviously recruiting was an uh, enjoyable process. I mean, obviously highly recruited being the five-star guy and yeah. uh, all the elite 11 stuff and the Nike camps. And that was back when college coaches could go to the Nike camps. So they all saw you in person. Mm -hmm. um, what, uh, briefly, what was that recruiting journey like? Did you target USC early or was Oof. it a dilemma? It was, it was, 
it was a fun process going into my senior year. We took a bunch of visits. Um, and so it was Texas, Ohio State, Notre Dame. We looked at UCLA briefly and USC. And Texas, uh, well, let me go, let me go this order. We go to Notre Dame and it was Tyrone Willingham. And he was talking in the third person a lot. And he just said, listen, Tyrone Willingham has a plan no. for Mark Sanchez. Tyrone Willingham no knows way. Mark Sanchez can be the starter at Notre Dame. Tyrone Willingham <laughs> is going to, you know, and I was just like, you know, I didn't really think about that because you've never really heard that as like a high schooler. And I didn't even know it was like necessarily third person probably as an 18 year old. But I was just like, that's kind of weird. He keeps saying his name and he's right here. Like he could just say me or <laughs> I, like whatever. It was weird. But then we went to go eat. Then I saw how big South Bend was. And I'm obviously from Orange County, so I'm a little jaded. I was like, ooh, I don't know. He's like, you got to stay in the dorms for three years and then you can move off campus. I was like, whoa, this is different. <laughs> then we go to Ohio State. It's uh, Jim Trestle. They had the entire band out there in the stadium. I'm in Ohio State, number six, Sanchez jersey. They put my high school highlights from Mission Viejo High School in the horseshoe on the big screen. And I was like, Dad, yeah, I'm going to No doubt. Fine. So I don't care what anybody says. It's like, I'm here. Then we go into Trestle's office. And the only thing that blew it, like he could have totally fooled me, just completely hoodwinked me. And he goes, uh, you know, it's, it's great. We have this tradition. We play on Thanksgiving weekend. We play Michigan. And the last 10 years, 10 out of 10, we've had snow for the game. And it's been awesome. And I was like, snow? What? I was like, what did he just say? I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I said, that's not rainbow sandal weather. I'm out. You got to drive two hours from where I'm from to go to the snow. We don't have snow. So that kind of freaked me out. Then uh, Mac Brown says, hey, listen, you come here. You play in Texas. We got this. Uh, we got this baby colt just just was born just a couple days ago. You come here. We're gonna name that colt Sanchez. And I was like, awesome! I got a horse. I'm in, Dad. I'm in. My dad's like, why? I said, well, one, I'm gonna have a horse. Two, their all white uniforms are the sweetest in college football. And he's like, great reasons. He's like, what are you gonna do with that horse? Ride it to class? He's like, what do you know about a horse? I was like, you're right. I don't know anything about a horse. <laughs> and then when we met with Coach Carroll and Coach Ogeron, I mean, it was, it was a done deal after that. I just felt like I'm close to home. They're putting out NFL caliber guys. They just put out Carson. Uh, Matt Castle was already getting looks as an NFL quarterback after barely playing. Leinert was still going to be there. And I ended up committing there uh, and recruited a bunch of guys to go there with me. So it was, um, that, that was pretty much the process. But it was, it was fun, man. Those are great memories. Well, let's get to our first break. When we get back, we'll talk to Mark about his incredible career at USC and the state of USC football right now. We'll be right back. Hi, football fans. Trent Dilfer here to tell you that NFLSundayTicket.tv is like having front row seats to every live out-of-market game every Sunday afternoon, no matter where you live. That's a lot of football. And guess what? This season, you get even more football than ever before. 18 weeks of NFL glory right there in your front room. Stream to your favorite device. Just picture it. You put your feet up, kick back, eat snacks. Oh yeah, and stream an insane amount of football. So make your seat a front row seat and catch every second of your favorite players and your favorite teams every Sunday afternoon. To see if you are eligible, go online to nflsundayticket.tv slash sundayready 
and stream every NFL Sunday ticket game this season to follow your favorite team no matter where you live. Use promo code DILFER2021 at checkout to save 15%. Exclusive student discounts also available. Mark, those are some incredible high school stories. You obviously end up signing with USC, as you said, uh, Carson, Matt Castle, Leinert, now Mark Sanchez. You guys are loaded. That just putting out dudes. Pete Carroll's, Pete Carroll's rolling. Uh, what were those years like at USC? It was incredible. Such an honor to play there. So much history and tradition. And after, I thought one of my favorite parts of being there was learning as a backup. And I hated it you know, at the beginning. And it's unheard of now. You know, you go in as a freshman, you don't play, boom, you're gone to another school. And I understand that you want to get the opportunity. But at the same time, that wasn't the mentality back then. The mentality was you got to work for something, you got to earn it. And you might have to wait a little bit. And worst case scenario, I was going to have two years to play after John David Booty was done. Well, John David got hurt. Uh, my redshirt freshman year was the USC Texas Rose Bowl year. So Liner has his yep. year. Then the next two years, John David was going to play. So his second year, uh, he went down with a finger injury, I want to say, and I got to start three games. Yep. I started uh, Arizona at home, on the road at Notre Dame, and then on the road at Oregon. We won our first two, lost the, lost the third game, and then John David came back in. We end up winning the Rose Bowl. He goes on, uh, gets a couple looks in the NFL, and then I'm competing with Mitch Mustang to start. Mm-hmm. Well, rewind from there all the way back to being a ball boy and being ready to go to Santa Margarita Catholic High School where Carson Palmer was the quarterback. And I was his ball boy and like water boy. I'd carry his pads. Like I'd wear his wristbands to my Pop Warner games. And I thought they gave me superpowers because he was God's gift to football, in my opinion. And as a, you know, 20-year-old sophomore, junior in college, I was like, I still felt that way, right? I still felt like Carson was the best thing that's ever happened to this game. And I was just, I would just watch him constantly in our film room. I would go pull up the old clips and just watch him over and over and over against Iowa in the Orange Bowl, uh, against Kansas State, against, you know, all these big time programs that he, I mean, he started putting SC back on the map with Coach Carroll, Troy Polamalu, Matt Grudegood, all these guys. And I would just go watch him. And finally, Coach Carroll, took those three games he names me the starter and he takes the three games that I played my red what would be my red shirt sophomore year so the year before I left and started the full year he took plays and spliced this film together one play was Carson one play was me one play was Carson one play was me and it was you know 16 Lee throw the deep comeback on on a naked so like fake stretch to the right roll out to the left boom nail the comeback Carson does it to Mike Williams against um uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes in the Rose Bowl. Boom. I do it against Notre Dame on the road as a redshirt sophomore. Next play was a quick play action, tight end down the middle on like a seam read. Boom. Carson hits it. Then I hit it. Uh, next play was deep play action, deep post over the top. Boom. Carson does it. Then I do it. I mean, these plays are like back and forth, roll to the left, throw back to your right, whatever it was. And it was like a 15, 20 play clip. And Coach Carroll looked at me after and he's like, you see what I'm getting at here? And I just looked at him and I was like, God, Carson's awesome. Yeah, I totally get it. And he's like, no. <laughs> he's like, that's not you're the point. Awesome. You can do he's like, you you're can doing do. the same thing. He's like, you, Carson's up here and you need to take him off the pedestal and you got to go be you. 
I'm not saying don't take anything from his game because he's a great player. But you got to be Mark Sanchez. You can't be Carson Palmer. You're not supposed to be. You got to be you. And reminded me of that. He said, You're running all the same plays. We call them the same plays. I put this tape together for you to remind you how good you are. You're going to lead this team. You're our quarterback. I trust you. Let's go. Are you in? Kind of thing. And after that, it just like rocked my world. And I, I felt so strong, so confident going into that season, uh, which, you know, I didn't know at the time was going to be my only season there. But it was that that was one of my favorite memories because there was a lot of buildup to get there. And when it finally happened, God, it was just like ever since that, then your career just kind of takes off. Because after that year, it was, you know, Rose Bowl, then drafted fifth overall to the Jets, AFC Championship game, AFC Championship game, my second year. Like it was there was those three, four years in there were pretty impressive and fun to be a part of. Some of, some of my favorite, specifically football memories of growing up, learning, and achieving everything or just about everything you'd ever want to. Isn't that part of Pete's genius is his way just to breathe confidence into players like he did with you at the Carson oh tape? I mean, I've heard countless stories of him as a coach just at all positions with coaches just be able to speak confidence into players. Is that something you'd agree with? Oh, yeah. It's so true, and it's so important for coaches because he's not just a coach. He's a teacher. He's your friend. He's your confidant. He's um, he's in your corner, mm -hmm. you know, and he has this way of building a bridge of communication and trust with his players that he knows exactly how to get, especially young kids with this, you know, impressionable mind and all that. He's He's got the keys to the car, man, and he just explains to you how to do it. And you, you're, I mean, you can't help but be confident after, after he pumps you up. You're just like, dude, I'm ready for anything. And um, that, is, that is an impressive quality. Well, you must have been rolling with confidence in that Rose Bowl game against Penn State. I mean, everybody remembers it over 400 yards of passing, four touchdowns. What I want to know is take us into the game planning of that game. Like, <sighs> take us behind the veil, what went into getting ready for that great game and uh, some of the mental gymnastics you went through in that preparation. Yeah, there's a couple things that I don't know if I've ever said, but that was that film session of grinding at the hotel and that's on campus for a month to face Penn State was like when you talk about getting into a flow state or like in the zone or what people like everything in that game, I promise you happened almost in slow motion. And it was it was one of the weirdest and coolest experiences I had it maybe one or two other times where it just was, you're so prepared and you're so ready. And when it happens, it's like it happened in practice. And you feel like you're almost having deja vu. Like, whoa, this is like, I just remember thinking that day, like, dude, I'm not, I'm not going to miss. I don't know if the ball's going to hit the ground today. Oh man. Like, look out, you know, after the first touchdown, I remember saying that to Sark, like, yo, I'm on one today. Let's rock. Like, <laughs> let's go. And part of that was the B2 bomber that flies over, you know, the yeah. Baba O'Reilly song. And I just, I can remember the smell, like everything from that game was just so spot on. Um, but it was a ton of reps, a ton of film study with Sark, you know, during practice after hours, because you're done with school. Yeah. It was just football. It was almost like an NFL experience, right? Like where you have all day long to get your body right and study and practice. 
and that's it. And then you get up the next day and do it all over again. Oh, and by the way, you're 21 years old, so you just recover like that. Like yeah. you get outside, bend over, touch your toes, move your arm around, and you're ready. So it was like the perfect time for all that to happen. I think um, one of the one of the craziest stories is I was dealing with like this facet joint crack in my back, and um, it had been bothering me during the season. I was doing all these exercises for it. And so I had to get like two facet blockers, two shots in my back just to like move around like I was supposed to. And then I couldn't feel it for a while. We did a ton of core work and I never had to do it again. But leading up to that game, I was kind of freaking out. Like, I don't know if this is going to work out. So I'm going to have to be so sharp mentally because if I can't move as much as I want to, I'm going to be a statue in the pocket. I'm going to have to just deal from the pocket. So I'm starting to think about that. And you fast forward to when all the NFL teams come in and you have this big binder of all your medical history, right? Mm -hmm. So I went in that binder. I was like, wait, I go give this to them? They said, yeah. And I was like, well, I can't do anything about my knee stuff because that's well documented. I said, but nobody knows about these facet blocks, right? <laughs> they said, I mean, what do you mean? And I was like, never mind. <laughs> and I go to out. give it to all the scouts. Took both of those pages out, threw them in the trash and handed them the thing. They're like, oh, so it's just your knee. And I was like, whatever's in the book. That's fantastic. <laughs> I didn't want to lie, but no. that was, I mean, you know, <laughs> relentless pursuit of a competitive edge. A amen. Well, <laughs> so. obviously that Penn State, <clears throat> excuse me, Rose Bowl game launched you as the fifth pick overall draft the following year. But before we get into your NFL journey, Talk to me briefly about the state of USC football. Obviously, Clay Helton yep. um, getting fired after uh, a few games into the season. Really haven't met expectations for quite a few years. How do you see it as one of the great Trojans of all time? Uh, listen, it's it's difficult because as um, as tough as it is, some of those things to watch, you know, you feel for a guy like Clay because he did. You know, I think looking back on it, people will will see him a little more favorably. He won a Rose Bowl. He gave us stability in unstable times. 2020 was just a mess. And to hire a new coach at that point, I don't know if that's the right recipe for success for the new coach and the program. So I think sticking with Clay, Clay understanding the situation that, you know, this job isn't guaranteed the next year or the year after, put him in a tough spot, especially recruiting. So to, ex to have high expectations, I think, these last couple of years was a little unfair. Um, but at the same time, at a program like this, Clay understands and the players understand, athletic director understands, the whole country understands. I mean, there's a standard that has to be met. And if it's not met, meaning wins and losses, it's a meritocracy. And if you don't, you know, hit your mark of 10 plus wins in a bowl game, that, that's going to be a problem. You can't get by like that for very long. So it's unfortunate, I think, the way it went down. But I do think he helped these young guys. I think he helped the program in a lot of ways. And, you know, now they've obviously parted ways and they're, they're ready for a new search. Um, I think the most important thing for people to understand is the good thing is that we're kind of the first of the party, right? Like we're the first ones that need a head coach that can get to everybody. We have three, four months to get this done. Um, recruiting could be tough if you wait too long. Uh, but some of these other coaches, almost every coach that I'm sure they're targeting is, has got a season going right now, right? Whether you're Eric Bieniemy or potentially, you know, the Urban Myers of the world, the James Franklins of the world, like, do you go with a big splash guy, uh, a big name guy? Do you go with somebody who's like in the SC family, a Jack Del Rio, 
Um, do you go, you know, completely out of the SC family and go with like Jason Garrett? I don't know. Maybe he wants to leave the league. Maybe he wants to be a head coach in college. Maybe he'd be great for these young kids. Um, you know, Eric Bieniemy, I think, um, you know, there's Luke Fickle because of his uh, connection with Mike Bone, the, the um, athletic director. I think there's a lot of great options. I think they're going to exhaust all those interviews and those options. And I think one, because they're first to the party, two, because they have a ton of time to get this done. I think they're going to land on someone. I think one of the most important qualities, though, they got to be able to recruit their ass off. They got to be big enough and have the the juice to do that. And having an LA presence is huge because all these kids going out of state, I mean, that can't happen if SC is going to be good. We're not going to go import all these kids and let our good players leave from Orange County, LA, San Diego, Northern California. Like that can't happen. We got to own California first and then start poaching kids from Texas, Louisiana, Florida, Ohio, New Jersey. Like that's, that's the way you're good. That's, that was the formula with Pete. And it takes time. It takes time to get there. So uh, it's a long process. We got a long way to go. But um, you know, I've I've expressed not interest in taking the job, <laughs> no chance. But uh, at least you know helping with ideas or whatever I can do for the program, I'm always ready to help. Now you said you you mentioned this, but is juice the biggest thing you think this person needs? They got to have a presence, right? And and I think you know I say that on one hand and talking out of the other side of my mouth. Remember where Pete Carroll came from, right? He was a twice-fired mm-hmm. NFL coach, bottom-of-the-barrel last pick. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say, like, they have to already be established because nobody knew that. Nobody knew Pete was going to be the guy. I mean, people dogged him in the media as soon as he took the job, right? Bill Plaschke's, you know, all the L.A. beat writers just like, oh, God, here comes another decade of losing. and You know, and he becomes one of the best coaches in the history of the program. So it's, it's hard. I think it helps in this day and age to have that presence, whether you're a B enemy or somebody, you know, he went to Bishop Ahmad. He's an LA guy. Um, that's a big deal for these young kids and their parents, right? Cause you gotta, you gotta recruit the parents just like you recruit the kids. So um, somebody who can do that, I think it's important, but to expect to find somebody like Pete in his situation I mean, that's, that's really tough. That's, that's a yeah. diamond in the rough. All right, well, let's get to our second break. When we get back, we'll talk to Mark about his NFL career, what he's doing now, and his family. We'll be right back. This episode of Beyond the X's and O's podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. I talk to QBs all the time about handling all the pressure that comes with playing the position, reminding them that investing in their minds is just as important as investing in their bodies. Join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Get 10% off your first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash Dilfer. That's help with a P. All right, back with Mark Sanchez. Incredible. Again, this show is about the journey. Mark's journey is as unique as anybody. We've we've talked over an incredible high school career, uh, an incredible career at USC. Now fifth pick of the draft, the New York Jets. Off to the Big Apple NFL career. The big question I've always wanted to ask you uh, is this. How, because I know what I went through just going as a California kid to Tampa, which isn't nearly, I mean, that's a tenth of what you went through. How much of a culture shock was it to go from USC to New York City? Yeah, my it's such a good question and such a valid question. My two favorite 
responses are like, I remember putting away my rainbow sandals after Halloween and that was tough <laughs> because yep. it got really cold really fast. Then uh, I remember wetting down the balls when it started getting cold and going out and practicing on Tuesdays, throwing a wet, snowy, rainy ball. Yep. Um, I remember learning what a wintry mix was in the weather report. <laughs> that meant kind of snow, kind of slush, kind of rain, and it was awful. Um, and then the other thing was adjusting to the type of fan base that we had. And in California, you know, it's very lax, very cool. Hey, bro. Hey, dude. Good luck. Like, stay healthy, man. <laughs> in New York, it's like, yo, Sanchez, we won the Super Bowl or what? So it totally changed the interaction you have with the fan base. And I was like, whoa, there are some serious expectations. And at the time, you don't think much of it. But now, from my vantage point, everything I've experienced, I mean, every quarterback is going to get, you know, compared to Joe Namath fair, unfair, right, wrong, or indifferent. That's just the way it goes. And I mean, you look at Zach Wilson right now, he's struggling like a rookie does. I mean, he's struggling on a bad team. I struggled on a good team and we won games in spite of me at times. So when people want to compare situations, you know, that's one of the first things is just like understand the circumstances, understand, you know, where this kid is, whether it's Sam Darnold, same thing. They didn't have nearly the team and the talent around them that I had. So it's hard to, to judge, you know, these young guys coming from California, going to New York. But it's, I mean, it's a complete culture shock, a total change from, from everything you've ever known. If you were a GM of one of the Northeastern teams, not just the Jets, would you draft a kid from California as a quarterback? I think I would. I mean, my, my, I would just want the right guy. You know, and part of that is somebody who's going to be able to adapt. Hopefully he's played in a game, you know, colder than 50 degrees, unlike me. <laughs> you know, our coldest game, I think, was up at Cal and it was like, you know, 48 degrees. And I was like, oh, my God, we're going to freeze, you know, <laughs> double uh, arm sleeves and like hand warmer and stuff. I had no idea. So, um, you know, but it doesn't I feel like you get over that. You figure that out so quickly and it just becomes a part of it. You know, guys who play for the Dolphins that have to go up and play in the cold, like you just, you can either do it or you, you can't. You can ball or you can't, and regardless of the weather. So I wouldn't shy away from him if, if, if he's our guy. If he's the right fit for us, then that means he's, he can figure out some weather. I agree with you. I just, I always like asking that question because, because you know, in our TV world, the, that question comes up in production meetings, right? And you're like, right. well, yeah, it's an issue. I remember going from California to, humid Tampa. It took a while to learn how to throw with wet oh, yeah. thumb, right? Your hand is oh, yeah. sweating so much. It's dripping <laughs> from your biceps <laughs> yeah. onto your hand. You got to learn how to throw that. That's the same thing. I actually did better up oh, in yeah. Green Bay when it was 15 degrees than I did in uh, 94 degrees and 90% humidity in Tampa. Yep. Like you said, you oh, get yeah. used to it. You're resilient. You have enough grit. You have enough work ethic. You you find ways of getting used to it. But now, the one thing about the time at the Jets, because I was doing TV at the time, and I remember, you know, that's all we talked about at ESPN, right? Seth Markman, who runs football at ESPN, all he wants to do is talk about the Jets. So every every production meeting, everything we do is about the Jets, and everything was about you. And we were playing ground and pound ball at the time with Rex. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember some key playoff games where you converted huge third downs that allowed you guys to win games offensively, trying to point those things out. My question is this, and without it sounding, me and you talked offline about this, it's hard anytime we have to talk about our mediocre careers 
and you say something good about it, people think you're defending it. So this is yeah. contextually, I'm not asking Mark to defend anything. I'm asking him to give reasons. Do you think you would have developed at a higher rate, a faster trajectory, if it wasn't ground and pound? Uh, in some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. I think the trans. The important thing is understanding what your team is and how you can play and how you're supposed to play within those confines if it is ground and pound. But then when you start to make the switch to loosen things up, yep. because look at Tom Brady, look at Matt Ryan, look at Joe Flacco. I mean, they were running a lot of the same stuff that we were running my first two years with the Jets with fullbacks, two tight ends, three tight ends, you know, 22 personnel, 23 personnel. I mean, third and six running power, mm-hmm. like I've been there. two back Trust power. I've been there. Are you kidding me? And you're like, you know, dude, can we at least like fake the power and throw a slant maybe or like do anything? So everybody's done it. It's just once, not, not that you've mastered it, but like once you've proven you can play in that circumstance and those confines and you start to, you know, loosen up the reins a little bit and watch this kid develop then that's one of the most important times, right? Because it's personnel, it's it's a scheme, it's the language you're speaking, the offense you're running. You want to keep those things consistent because look at a guy like Alex Smith, five coordinators his first five years, he finally lands with somebody who's there for more than one and he balls out. Then he goes to a West Coast system with Andy Reid and balls out. Like It's not that he couldn't do it. He wasn't a bad player. But the inconsistency makes it tough. And that's coaching. That's free agents. That's the guys you're throwing to, the guys blocking for you. So when we started to transition out of ground and pound, we just played the free agency game so hard. I mean, one one year, it's all the receivers I'd been with for three years. And the next year, it's a completely different group. And that takes a lot of time. I mean, look at Matt Ryan this year. He's trying to figure out how to throw to Kyle Pitts. He's trying to figure out what to do without Julio Jones. There's something to keeping your core guys together. And at a certain point, we just started to lose a little bit of that. Then we changed coordinators a couple times. And after that, it's like, well, you didn't have the success that you had during ground and pound. So you're no longer a good player. And whether that's fair or not, that's the way it went. But it's it's unfortunate because I think there was room to grow and, you know, stretch your legs a little bit and be the pocket passer that you eventually can be because there's a ceiling on everybody's pocket passing ability but once you get really comfortable with the quick game nakeds play actions like you got to really hone in on that pocket passing because at a certain point in the game the good defenses are going to force you to drop back stay in the pocket go through multiple progressions make an accurate throw over and over and over sustain a drive over 10 plays make three, you know, convert three, three you know, key yep. third downs. That's a real game. That's a playoff game. And that's why, you know, some of this stuff that works all season long that might win you the MVP or whatever, it's not always sustainable. Um, but, yeah, that's a long-winded answer of I think, yes, you can develop out of ground and pound, but it's the next stage that I think that in-between stage of where you end up is is really important the transition from ground and pound to you know letting your quarterback throw a little bit i love that answer i'll add one more thing to it because i actually lived your life before you lived it 
I went to Seattle after Tampa ground and pound, Baltimore yep, ground and pound. Yep. And, what, and it was an epiphany. <laughs> well, what happened was the biggest thing that struck me was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's not mm-hmm. just the philosophy. It's how many times I threw the ball in practice. It's, it's yes. those reps with those receivers you're talking about. Yes. I, I bet you I threw five times as many footballs at a Seattle Seahawks practice than I ever did in a Tampa practice or a Baltimore practice. And that's something to coaches listening. You always got to keep a very clear rep count on how many times your quarterback mm-hmm. is throwing a football to the guys that are going to catch it on game night. Yep. And too easy is to script these, okay, we got this unbalanced run. We have this reverse we want to wrap. We want to yep. get this rep four times. We have this substitution group. And you you go through an entire day's practice. And I mean, I remember days in Tampa, I'd throw 12 passes. The entire practice. <laughs> that was there. I was right? right you there live that in New York because I mean that's kind of that's that's the ground and pound way. You go to Seattle and you know you get twenty two reps of seven on seven of a thirty play team script. You're throwing it twenty times at least. You're getting a lot of your inside run reps in inside run drill, not team yep. drill. So you're getting better at team yeah. pass. So I, I think it's something you know. Big part of the show is to you know give some wisdom and an insight to the, to the game of football coaches. If you're listening, make sure your quarterback's throwing the football in practice yep. and guess what? Yep. He'll throw it better game night. <laughs> and, and, and repping it and walkthrough, it doesn't count. No, a walkthrough pass <laughs> rep does not count. It might count for the, the garden tack on a fan call, yeah. but it does not count for the quarterback and receiver. So that's funny. Last thing, Mark, uh, is this. What Your life now, you've transitioned out of the NFL. Mm-hmm. You're a very, very, very good broadcaster, by the way. I've been able to watch and listen to you quite Thank a few you. times. Uh, and your family. Just tell everybody where you're at now, what you're doing. And kind yep. of, you're almost 35. Uh, what, do you, what do you see in the next half of your life? Uh, the next few years, especially, I'd, I'd love to keep going with this TV stuff. Yep. I, I'm really enjoying the broadcasting side. I think ESPN gave me a a great platform and, and really helped me get comfortable being on camera, mm-hmm. um, getting your answers in a 30, 60, 90 second soundbite. <laughs> Cause there's an art to that. Yeah. There's, you know, you lead with your best stuff, you support it and you get out yep. or talking over a highlight. You know, there's an art to that. Um, telestrating something, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and doing it in the pre-production and then talking over it in the, in the actual on air segment. There's an art to that. And I got a chance to do a lot of those things that have helped me now that I've transitioned over with Fox to call games. Mm-hmm. Because if I would have just called games out of the out of the gate, I don't think I would have gotten as comfortable as I am now as quickly. Because I have those reps of the red light being on the camera and it's go time. Um, then, you know, just simple things like landing the plane in your answer. You know, <laughs> when you start to ramble a little bit, you're just like, oh, danger, danger, danger. Land the plane, land the plane. Like... Because you you hear the producer in rap, your ear. Rap, five, rap, rap, four, rap. We're going to commercial. <laughs> we did it in the game yesterday, Seattle at Minnesota. He goes, we got to go. Injury timeout. We're going to commercial. Three, two. And I said, and more after this, we'll be back from break. <laughs> and I took us to break. <laughs> and our so at ESPN, that was like a big no-no. Like, don't talk over, you know, Matt Berry and Kevin Nagandi and those guys. Like, that's their job. That's their turf. You know, and sometimes in a broadcast, it just it's a little more ambiguous and like, Hey, we got to get there. So get us there. And I looked over at Kevin Kugler. I was like, I'm sorry. And he goes, don't worry about it. That was pretty good. (laughs) So, um, but I'm really enjoying the broadcast stuff. My son, you talked about family. Um, uh, yeah, he's going to be five. 
he um, he just started pre-K. He's doing like a Spanish dual immersion class. So he's coming home, um, you know, learning all these Spanish words and counting to 20 in Spanish. And it's really cool for me because I didn't learn Spanish till much later in my life. Uh, and I thought it was an important skill for him. But he's enjoying school and uh, hopefully getting into a little sports here soon. Um, but we'll uh, we'll figure that out as it goes. And uh, I'm just I'm so blessed to to have the life experience I have. I feel like there's a ton I can teach him, not just on the field but off the field. Um, and and the opportunities that football and sports in general afforded me. Um, you know, my mom's in a in a beautiful home because I worked my butt off and got my degree and played ball. And uh, you know, my dad goes fishing in a in a really nice boat that I got. Um, you know, that kind of stuff to me was like, as a little guy, that was really important because they were at my practices. They were at the games. They were driving me from Palm Springs to Santa Barbara to Rancho Cucamonga to you name it, to San Diego, just to do baseball, basketball, football, all that. So to, to give them something after it's all said and done was, was very important. And now, you know, I'm watching my nieces and nephews go through the same thing. I'll soon watch my son play. And it's so fun how it comes full circle. And a lot of that was sports and football specifically. So um, I feel blessed to be where I'm at and I'll just keep working at this TV thing and, and see how it goes. Well, it was an awesome conversation. I'm really glad you talked about your parents there. Uh, my final question was going to be about how much they impacted your journey, but you answered it. Um, just an incredible conversation, Mark. Thanks for spending time with us. And, and for the audience, if you haven't watched Mark call a game, watch one of the games he's calling. He is very, very good at it. I actually it. got to watch the Seahawks. Vikings game that he called yesterday. And uh, I think you're going to be one of the best, pal. You're very, very gifted at it. I so appreciate it, man. Congratulations on that appreciate gig. It. And thanks for spending time with us. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. All right. See you, buddy. Well, that was a really cool conversation with Mark. So glad he was able to join the show. Uh, coming up next, we'll have Ryan Leaf. That should be a ton of fun to hear about his journey.